Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. It is the fourth Sunday of the Easter season in year A. We are in our series called Simply He Lives. Each week, the lectionary is helping us explore who our living Savior is, different aspects of his work, and then the amazing blessings that flow out of his resurrection to all his people and to the world. So today we are uh, at the traditional Good Shepherd Sunday, uh, more on that in just a minute, and an intriguing text from First Peter. But uh, before I get too far, uh, my name's John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Our two preachers for this series are Pastor Brett Krause from Zion Lutheran Church in Denver, Colorado, and Pastor Tyler Peel from Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Taylorsville, Utah. And also with us today is Professor Alan Sorum from the seminary. So thanks to all of you for serving today on the podcast. Uh, Brett Krause, let's start with you. This Sunday is the fourth Sunday of the Easter season. Talk to us a little bit about the main scriptural themes this week. Sure. Thanks, John. Um, so in the context of the Easter season, the theme, the overall theme, He Lives, this week, we're focusing on Jesus. He lives to be our good shepherd. And it strikes me that that the Christian church has traditionally, historically always chosen Good Shepherd Sunday to be in the Easter season. Really, it's one of those pictures and scriptures and descriptions of Jesus that you could talk about at any time of the year. But it fits so well to talk about it in the Easter season because well, Jesus talks about himself as a good shepherd who laid down his life for us in order to rescue us from our spiritual enemies. And he's a good shepherd who then <clears throat> willingly and actively took up his life again as our good shepherd. And this week in the theme, still in the Easter season, we get to bask in the glory of what it means to live under the care of our living good shepherd. And so that's really, I think, what this week's readings and theme hits on is what is that like? What is it like to live under the care of our living and reigning good shepherd who still cares for us so deeply and so beautifully? And maybe the answer to that question, Jesus himself hits it in the gospel when he says, living under the care of me, the good shepherd, is it's life. And it's, it's not just kind of sort of life, it's life to the full. Uh, that's what it means to live under the care of the Good Shepherd. And, and maybe building off of that, when we think of Good Shepherd Sunday, so in the context of the church year, it, it's set in, in the Easter season. But the really neat thing about the way the scriptures talk about Jesus as our Good Shepherd, in scripture, that, that concept is set in reality. So it's not just this unattainable, idyllic picture of, oh, we live in these beautiful green pastures. There's never any trouble here. Uh, scripture doesn't talk about it that way. Jesus talks about the reality of enemies, uh, thieves, robbers that seek to kill, destroy, steal. Um, Psalm 23 talks about the reality of evil, the reality of enemies, the reality of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, what we're going to talk about today, you know, Peter talks about the reality of injustice and pain and suffering. And the skeptic could ask, that's life, that's life to the full under the, the care of the good shepherd. And Jesus says, well, actually it is, because when you live under my care, um, you don't have to fear those evils, because I'm with you, um, because I am the gate to eternal life. 
uh, because you have a good shepherd who still cares for you and watches over you and gives you life, even in the midst of all of those things. So a lot of those themes come out as we talk about Good Shepherd Sunday, and maybe specifically this year um, in year A. Thank you, Brett. Uh, Tyler, let's go to you next. Um, We'll focus on the second reading as our sermon text today. Could you say a little bit about the gospel of the day and the first reading, maybe some relationships between the readings today? Yeah, amen to everything Brett said. It just gets me excited to preach for this Sunday. Um, There are some Sundays when you things are so thematic, um, you hardly have to explicitly connect the dots between pericopes for folks. And I think that this is one of those where things become so obvious. We're talking shepherd and sheep, 23rd Psalm, um, this little poem that has us seeing pastures and streams and tables uh, as lambs under the care of actually having a shepherd. And um, and I suppose these are words that are going to pull up some tears in a few sitting in front of the preacher this Sunday. But especially, as Brett already pointed out, he uh, goes first, he's gone first through the valley into, the, into death. Um, and now he's on the other side and lives to be my shepherd, uh, which says something about the rest of the lessons as well. Uh, yeah, so then we move to Acts 2, and Brett was saying these Sundays have to do with, well, I, I love it, reality, um, and a shepherd that takes us through through the things of real life, but it, there are also texts that inspire us in that walk uh, with him, I think, in beautiful ways. So if the first few Sundays after Easter focused us on the fact, right? Eyewitness accounts of the resurrection to establish this without a doubt. Now um, we are, we're still there, but we're moving into the fruit that grows out of this truth that Jesus lives, um, what it means for us and what we receive from him, and also the shape of that in the Christian life, which I think will be in our text today. But that's also Acts chapter two, uh, still in the great Pentecost chapter in Acts. We We'll hear the very front part of Acts chapter 2 in a few weeks at Pentecost with all the Pentecost miracles, but then we've heard in the last few weeks, Peter preached the resurrection that he witnessed, and then we heard of the call to repentance and the 3,000, the baptism that happened there, and then today is the, the Sunday is the end of that chapter, and it is very famous passage, Acts 2.42, concise, uh, simple description of what the church looks like, the shape of the first community of believers, a flock under the good shepherd. I think you could call it a liturgy of their spiritual lives. They've got the apostles teaching, so they're hearing the voice of the good shepherd, the fellowship coming together and being united and sharing their peace, maybe a meal, um, breaking of the bread. They're fed by the good shepherd uh, in the gift of his body and blood. They say their prayers to him. And then um, among them, uh, generosity and winsome witness Um, and genuine love in that community, mercy, and daily, as long as they could still, meeting in the temple, um, and more and more sheep are brought into the pen as they live their faith out loud. Um, Here's the church Um, of the Good Shepherd. Then the gospel lesson, um, John 10 spans over the three-year cycle. This time we have the very first verses of that, verses 1 to 10, and we have there 
the first of the two I am statements in John 10. Uh, I am the, the door, the thera, the gate. Uh, I'm quite sure John 14 is the gospel acclamation for the day. So we do have Jesus saying to us, I'm the good shepherd, but that's not explicitly in the gospel lesson verses that are chosen for us. This is the one that where Jesus um, speaking to the Pharisees who have pushed him out, rejected what he has to say, and are rejecting those who will listen to Jesus. Uh, and he calls them by name, you Pharisees, um, as he contrasts different kinds of shepherd, or at least different kinds of weight uh, entrances into the sheep pen to the flock. Thieves and robbers, he says, want to come in by some other way than him who is the opening, the entrance. Um, they'll try to climb over the fence. This is, of course, speaking to anybody that would Put it on the sheep, I suppose, to find their own way in versus um, coming in by the voice of and the call of the good shepherd. Um, so the gate is the opening and those who are his, whom he knows by name, those who know his voice, they come in, they go out uh, like little sheep under his care and his protection. And they live in his presence. No lonely sheep because they live in the presence of the one who's brought them in. And then they, as Brett said, they have life and that um, abundantly full life, life with a shepherd, not a life of seeking, but a life of knowing that they're found life near that voice where even, um, as I said before, at the Valley of the shadow of death, they can say he's with me. I think um, it, uh, as I was reading through them again, it's a kind of uh, readings that by the end, you just want to sing, I am Jesus, little lamb. And maybe uh, you will this Sunday sing that. It's certainly a Sunday that sings, right? Uh, you got to pick which of the yeah. 17 versions of hit Psalm 23 you want to sing in him form, but that's awesome. Right, right. Um, yeah, this is one Sunday, and I probably said it last year at this time too, but, um, you know, I used to wonder, Good Shepherd Sunday, every single year, how do you not just say the same things uh, over and over again? Well, number one, some of the same truths are worth repeating over and over again. Uh, they're so precious to us. But also uh, an encouragement for preachers to look at the uniqueness of each of the three years, um, uh, because there are different nuances, kind of different aspects to this truth that Jesus lives as our good shepherd. So um, you will talk about that today, but encouragement for preachers, um, rather than just defaulting to uh, favorite themes on Good Shepherd Sunday, um, although that's never a bad thing, um, but look for the unique emphases um, on in each year as you approach Good Shepherd Sunday. Maybe just a good reminder. Well, let's get into the second reading for today then. First uh, Peter chapter 2, um, verses 19 through 25. And Alan Sorum, could you get us started? Uh, what points in this text jumped out at you? Thank you, Jonathan. Um, first, let's just point out the a very general thematic arrangement of First Peter. First Peter one through two ten. We're talking about origins and identity. You know, the this is who we are—a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, kind of thing. And then in chapter two eleven to four eleven, we have the responsibilities of this chosen nation, God's holy people. And then chapter 1 Peter 4.12 to the end is get ready for the challenges you have come in, holy people. 
So with that division, our, our text for Sunday is in that part two where we're talking about the responsibilities. Verse, we're going to back up to verse 18. For whatever reason, the pericope doesn't include to whom 19 through 25 is addressed. But let's go ahead and just state hoi oiketai. These are household servants or household slaves that Peter is talking to. He's saying to these household slaves, um, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. So you might you might ask, well, how, how do we address our entire congregation uh, on a text that's addressed to slaves? I, it's pretty easy. It's just think of Luther's famous Reformation writer, writing where uh, the, the freedom of a Christian person, right, where we're slaves to no one, but servants of all in Christ. So it's a great application to viewing ourselves as uh, household servants submitting to masters in, in that respect. So the first really interesting thing in the Greek is the chiasm in 19 and 20. You have the, the outside part of that part of that chiasm. The external portion is charis. Um, it, it's really important to do two things. Read a, a whole bunch of translations to see what they do with the chorus in 19 and the chorus in 20. For example, NIV says, for, for this is commendable, or Christian Standard says, this brings favor, or ESV says, this is a gracious thing. I kind of like what Luther does. He just says, dendasis ganada. He just he said he takes grace for grace. This is grace. So what we have to do, if we haven't already done it, is read the entire section in BDAG on the word charis, just to see the huge semantic range this word has in scripture. So you can try to put, put forward your quarter and pay for your choice. How are you going to translate charis? Um, as we go forward, I want to make a case for letting grace be grace. I, I am not diminishing the range at all. I am not uh, second-guessing NIV or CSB or ESV's translation of it. But let me make a case for why I like to translate the uh, exterior part of this chiasm, grace. Uh, for it is grace. It is grace if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. Now here's the inner part of the chiasm. How is it your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and do wrong? But part, the second part, but if you suffer for doing good, you endure it. Now here comes the uh, other side of the chiasm. If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is grace. Paratha, oh, uh, the grace that originates from God. So right now we're on the edge of a mind-boggling notion that it God in his great grace, in his kindness, in his undeserved love, allows us to suffer injustice. That's a mind-blowing statement right there. Um, that gets people's attention. Hey, it's only because of God's free and faithful, generous love that you get to endure harsh treatment from an unjust master, whoever that might be. So now look at the, the rest of the text. Well, look at verse 21, where he says, to this you were called to suffering this injustice. 
because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. So here we have a pretty clear expression of why we might call this grace. It is a grace to walk where Jesus walked. It's a grace. It's a privilege to endure what Jesus endured. It's a privilege to have this solidarity, if I can throw out that fun word. We have solidarity with our precious Savior in bearing this injustice for our doing good. Verses 22 to 25 kind of unpack uh, this topic. Verses uh, 22 to 25 describe the level of harsh injustice that Jesus received. He committed no sin. There was no deceit in his mouth. When they hurled insults, he didn't retaliate, but he, he just bore it. Um, this is, and he endured, he endured incredible, painful in, injustice. Now, here's his reaction. He entrusted himself, facing all of this, this injustice, what did he do? He entrusted himself to the judge who will judge. Now, what a powerful thing to extend to our to our Christ followers in our congregations. Don't grab revenge. Revenge belongs to God. Don't curl up in a little ball. Don't quit. Don't, pardon my language, don't whine. But when we're receiving this uh, injustice, just as our Savior received injustice, that we do what our Savior did, we entrust ourselves to the judge who will take care of all justice going forward so we can relax right we don't we don't need to start plotting revenge because we've we've entrusted justice to the judge and there's a purpose to this jesus says just as jesus had a purpose our suffering will have a purpose and i I think of my friends in vietnam if i could just say real quick i had one one pastor in vietnam was beaten severely every day for a month by um, a a prison guard because the prison guard wanted to break this man out of his Christianity. But years later, this same prison guard visits now this pastor's home every Christmas because the prison guard just couldn't get past how this man bore his suffering. It just, it, it, let's just say it got his attention and he wanted to explore, you know, how do you, how do you bear up under this brutality? But now let's get to, let's get to the Sunday. It's Good Shepherd Sunday. Look at the assurance. Slaves, you were once wondering, but now great passive here, you were returned. You know, God in his great grace and mercy, talking about grace, you were returned to whom? the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So here's our assurance. This precious savior who knows what suffering is, he assures you, I have you in my tender care. I know what's going on in your life. My rod and my staff, they guide you, they comfort you. And I'll anoint your head with oil. It's just, here's the connection to the Sunday is the assurance we have as we walk in Christ-like footsteps. We have the Christ watching over us. Thanks for that yeah, great rundown through the text, the context. Um, let's open it up then. Uh, Brett, Tyler, anything you want to respond to and what Alan has said? Uh, just Let's just keep talking about the, the all the nuances he's brought up. Brett? 
Yeah. And thanks, Alan. All that was just such a great rundown of everything. And the same things that struck you struck me. And you just, you read this text and especially when you look at, at 22 versus 22 and following, the thing that jumps out at me is you have all of these phrases that describe Jesus and the work of Jesus that we normally talk about in the realm of Jesus' substitutionary work. And they're talked about that way in this text, too, when we think of that as the primary uh, thing that we take away from all of these things. So the things that he did in our place, that our good shepherd did in our place to rescue us from our sins. So what did Jesus do? He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth, his, his active obedience, his perfect life lived in our place. Um, they hurled insults at him, but he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. So his passive obedience, he's suffering as our substitute in our place. These are the things that rescued us from our sins. Uh, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. By his wounds, you have been healed. So we, we cling to these truths about Jesus as our perfect substitute. Um, the good shepherd who laid down his life for us and then took it up again. And yet, as, as you laid all of that out, all of that beautiful substitutionary work of Jesus, when you go back up to the, the first couple verses, we're reminded, now we're going to talk about all of that work as your example. Um, the one who did all of this work for you, I want you to mimic it in your life. Uh, when you're wronged, when you're treated unjustly, and these slaves were actually receiving beatings, even though they were they were acting in a God-pleasing way. You know, anytime the Christian is wronged, I want you to follow the example of your Savior who did all of these things for you. And I think you highlighted just some great reasons why that was, um, because we have that privilege. I love the way you said that. It's the grace of walking in the footsteps of our good shepherd, uh, the grace of following him in his life. And, and maybe one other thing to add to that, what's another benefit of, of following that example? I, I think your example of the pastor in, in Vietnam is so great. He endured that suffering unjustly. And what did, what did the one who was beating him see? He saw, his, he saw his Savior. He saw what his Savior did for us to save us. So when we suffer unjustly for doing wrong, it's one more way that we can give people a picture of salvation. This is what Jesus did to save us. And when you look at me now, following in his, in his example, you get to see that too. Thanks for that, uh, yeah, reaction piggybacking off of Alan's thoughts. Uh, Tyler? Yeah, um, I, it's opened my eyes to a few more things as well. I I guess most of the time when I talk about following Jesus, this beautiful big invitation to be his own, um, I'm thinking about the green pastures and pleasant streams. This one is certainly a call to something much more counterintuitive, the as the theology of the cross always is, but I love that both of these men have pointed out that, yeah, the privilege, the, that it's still in this, this word we preach to sufferers, right? And that's what I'm hearing Peter writing to, of course, um, the, the pain, and it is still inspiring a letter of hope 
and I heard it especially in the, to this you were called, or to that phrase at the end of verse 20, if we would take that as the, the grace sourced from God, um, as Professor Sorum said, to keep the, the context in the front, that this is about origins and identities, that you're strangers here, Peter had said. Um, God's special possession, a holy nation, just pours out who you are in him so that these circumstances and these things and these even beatings. Um, and I, I too was touched by that story. I wonder how many hundreds of thousands um, of stories there are like that, that witness to the, to the real changes um, that happen from being one of his own and living the resurrection. But uh, so the point, first Peter's still a letter of hope. Um, we started out there with uh, the beginning of chapter one, we were born into a hope. Um, and that's a real thing. Um, some have said, you know, this is maybe a post-baptismal sermon, this letter. It certainly rings uh, with our baptism when you hear things like we might die to sin and live for righteousness as we walk behind Jesus, Romans 6 kind of language. So you were called to this, and now that might mean, what is this, what is this like, verses 19 to 20? It might mean that you have to counterintuitively walk in ugly ways, but you will rely on God's grace, dear sufferer, all the more. God help us. And um, as the Bible tells us, he's able to repay whatever it is you might suffer for this. That sounds like the voice of the good shepherd. Yeah. 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 The, the part of Psalm 23 uh, that kind of that this evokes in my mind is, um, yeah, not so much the green pastures, quiet waters, but uh, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? That uh, that's, I think, a situation like that is maybe what Peter is envisioning, uh, but the good shepherd is there. Um, yeah. How did you go about or how do you plan on going about um, preaching just uh, law gospel themes? Um, I know we've touched on them in some ways, but um, what advice would you have for preachers in that regard? Brett? Yeah, I mean, just thinking about the context of Good Shepherd Sunday being set in reality, uh, the people that we're preaching to are wronged by the world, by people every single day. And this text really gets to how do you respond when you're wronged, uh, when you're sinned against? Not when you receive consequences of your own sins. You know, Peter makes that distinction. But when you're actually being treated unfairly, unjustly, when you're being wronged, how do you respond? And, you know, Tyler highlighted that, that phrase, you were called to this, you were called as you follow the good shepherd to just to bear up under the pain of that unjust suffering. So specific law for me, for God's people is all the times that we don't do that. Uh, when we refuse to endure the pain of unjust suffering, when we refuse to simply bear up under it, uh, when we have this attitude that this wrong needs to be righted mm -hmm. and I need to get revenge. Um, that's, that's really abandoning the call. That, that we've received from our good shepherd. And I think you can even take the, 
the specific law deeper than that. What are the ramifications of that when we feel like we need to operate that way in our lives? We need to right whatever wrong it is that we've faced because there are plenty of ways to right the wrongs. Um, what will people see? If I operate that way, they'll look at me and they'll see uh, everything that they see from everybody else in the world. This is yet another person who needs to get revenge when they're wrong. Uh, who, who needs to refuse to be, you know, walked on, treated unfairly, wronged. Um, and then they don't see their savior. So when, when they look at me, if, I'm, if I need to right the wrong, um, they, they don't see Jesus. And if I can just kind of go on with specific gospel, then all that stuff that Peter said, following your savior's example now you get to come back and talk about Jesus as substitute. Uh, all of these times when I've refused to be wronged and not bear up under it to reflect my Savior, for those sins too, Jesus died. Uh, for those sins too, he, he bore in his body on the cross, and it's by his wounds that, that we're healed. And it's really only under that forgiveness that we can take up our calling once again. Think of Tyler's reference to baptism. You know, we take up that calling once again. Now, I'm today, in the peace of my forgiveness, I'm going to show people Christ again uh, by allowing myself to be wrong, just like Christ was, uh, entrusting myself to the one who, who judges justly. Yeah, Alan? Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. That, that, that's a sermon right there, Pastor Crosby. Uh, the application, I think, is so critically relevant in our day. Uh, our current operative worldview and our culture is small groups that are oppressed, crying out for justice. And th that, that worldview has diminished, if not destroyed, the concept of the individual and the universal. But here we have uh, the way to respond to the injured person in the group with that very, very personal, um, I know someone who knows your pain. I know someone who has experienced that level of pain and even more, and he did it for you. He did it for everyone in the world. So I may not have commonality with you in your pain of being a victim, but I do have commonality with you in a savior who can write, who has written an entire book. Like think of Isaiah 53 about how his victim, he didn't valorize victimhood. He accomplished our salvation through his being a victim and just how we can turn the toxic messaging that we hear of in our world into a beautiful gospel invitation to find rescue from being um, uh, a victim and to find strength in being a follower of one who experienced injustice to rescue us. Such a relevant call. Yeah, thanks for that. Pointing out that connection. You're right, it, do, it does speak to yeah much of what we're observing um, and what we feel uh, caught up in, I think, in our our culture, just the way of viewing things, um, yeah, puts a counterintuitive uh, uh, view of, of what it means to suffer before our eyes um, in light of our following the Good Shepherd. Um, great. Any uh, theme suggestions or anything, ideas you're, you're working with at this point you could suggest to preachers? 
Tyler? Well, I had, uh, since it's Good Shepherd Sunday, thought about playing at the end of the verse 25, right? From sheep going astray to maybe sheep going a new way. Um, but I really loved the phrase from Professor Sorum, a grace to walk where Jesus walks. Hmm. That mm-hmm. uh, captures what you're, you're trying to throw out here, huh? Um, yeah, and then when we talked about this, now default for sinner is to whining, I think the professor said, or complaining. That's some specific law in my life or that hits me um, uh, from that to being the light and seeing the the strength and being those who walk with Christ in the midst of that to just see things differently as, which is of course what the resurrection is um, doing for us. So um, something with the sheep and the, the shepherds, this big, once again, a, a big um, adversative done at verse 25, but now you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Yeah. Yeah. But now this is who you are, but now this is how you can look at things um, in light of the good shepherd's love. Right. Brett. And you, if you want to, you could just pull out that phrase in the middle to this, you were called Mm -hmm. um, as a thematic statement. Maybe that's a little vague because your people will be like, Oh, to what? Um, But then you get to explain it in the, in the sermon and, that beautiful, you were actually called to follow your good shepherd to endure the pain of unjust suffering. And, and the call, again, that that's how we now live for righteousness. It's how people see their savior when they look at us. Uh, this is a beautiful calling that we have um, as sheep who have already been redeemed. Um, and, and maybe if I could just, there's kind of a neat word in the text that gives a good illustration to that. Um, it maybe leans a little bit away from sheep following the good shepherd, but the word for example in the, the Greek, is, I think is hypogrammos. So it literally means to write underneath. And I think the thought behind that was school children, you know, school teachers would write the letters on a tablet across the top of a, a tablet. And the little kids learn their letters by writing underneath and they would try to copy those letters just like the teacher wrote them. So they would look just the same way. And we get to be the ones who write the letters underneath the perfect handwriting of our savior. And there are a lot of gospel thoughts with that. You know, we don't write the letters perfectly. There are so many times when we retaliate to the, to the injustices when we need to write the wrongs and by his wounds, we are healed. And then we get to pick up the pen again and, and write. And when people see us again, they see if we're writing underneath the example of our Savior, they get to see the work of our Savior through that too. Right, right. Yeah, thanks for pointing out that that, that word and that you know, illustration, I think, works really well uh, with what we've been, all everything we've been discussing here. Um, well, great. Uh, th- any final thoughts, comments, or things you wanted to interject here for preachers? Hey, if not, then let's wrap it up for today. But uh, yeah, and enjoy preachers continuing to work with the rich images in this text. Yeah, this different way of looking at things in light of 
the good shepherd and the charis, the grace that he gives to us. Uh, the Lord bless you as you preach his word yet again.